0: Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratt, and today, I know I say this every time, but today is an exceptionally special podcast because we're starting our Gel Junior series. So this is our pediatric branch of the Ultrasound Gel Podcast, and I'm so excited to have with me today, Doctors Delia Gold and Leanne McLean. Thank you so much for joining me and starting on this excursion with me.
1: Hi, Mike. Great
2: to be here.
0: This is going to be so much fun. And to introduce this subset of the podcast briefly, we have these two wonderful POCUS leaders as well as we'll be joined by Dr. Russ Horowitz as well and hopefully we can now get a little bit more expertise in pediatric point of care ultrasound. Now to kick off the series we have a super important article. The article is titled The Variable Journey in Learning to Interpret Pediatric Point of Care Ultrasound Images, a Multi-Center Prospective Cohort Study. This was published in Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training, July 2019. Delia, what can you tell us about this article and the variable journey that they reference?
1: Thanks, Mike, for the intro. I'm really excited to be part of this new podcast. Um, I think uh, we definitely need more peds material out there because kids are not Just little adults, as they say. So uh, talking about our article that we're going to focus on, this was a study done out of Sick Kids in Toronto, which is awesome that we have Dr. Leanne McLean here, because Leanne is their uh, ultrasound program director and one of their esteemed PEM physicians, so it will be very great to hear her take on this. Uh, But the background for this medical education study is that we, we still don't know the best way to teach POCUS. And we don't know the best way to teach PEM POCUS. As adult emergency medicine has led the way in in POCUS, pediatrics is still trying to establish the best way to catch up their learners and their attendings and uh, create the content and the way to teach people both who are in training but also who are coming to POCUS late in life. Learning POCUS as we know has become a priority now in pediatric emergency medicine and there is just tons of literature on um, how there are barriers to achieving proficiency. There often is issues with uh, the faculty not being trained or being at an institution where it's not built into your fellowship. Because it's hard to do bedside rounds all the time because everyone's got limited time and limited schedules, this uh, article focused on an e-learning module and website of image, like an image repository to see if you could teach image interpretation, and they wanted to measure kind of how um, efficient this learning would be and how well people would do. So the main questions for this article and what they focused on was they wanted to determine PEM physician performance metrics in image interpretation, and they wanted to determine the number of cases and time frame within most participants could achieve specific performance benchmarks. Mike, why don't you tell us about the methods of this study?
0: Yes, and I have to give a quick caveat because this is maybe the first time we've done an educational study on the gel podcast because usually we like to stick to clinically useful information that directly affects how you manage your patients however this one was just so important and because of what delia said about the kind of lack of background knowledge and how best to teach pediatric Focus specifically, we just thought that this was so important for people to know. So let me dig into how they actually performed this study. Now this was a really well done study, very robust in its statistics and methodology. I'm not going to be able to go through all of the details, but I'll give you the brief understanding of what they did. This was a multi-center prospective cohort study. They used a sample of pediatric emergency physicians in the U.S. and Canada, Leanne, I mean, really, it should be like pediatric physicians from Canada and the U.S., Exactly. So there was two main parts to this. One was the educational intervention itself. And the second is what they did with that intervention. So let me talk about the intervention. This sounded like a really fantastic electronic resource that they built. They essentially had an online repository of images that were based in case format. So essentially, learners would sign up for one of the four categories, which were soft tissue fast, lung and cardiac and once in those they would be given a number of images or in some cases clips and they would be asked to identify if it was normal or abnormal and if abnormal to actually click on their screen which part of the image was abnormal and then it would give you some feedback on that case so sounds like a really great learning tool they had 100 cases in each of those four categories, half of them were normal, half of them were abnormal. So that was their resource. And then they gave this to all of the learners in the study. The learners were collected from asking ultrasound leaders to distribute this survey and also from the P2 network, which they were able to collect some participants from that as well. And they were, it sounds like they were actually trying to collect all comers when they ended up getting a lot of learners and a few Focus experts as well. So the main outcomes that they were shooting for here, there were many, but they essentially wanted to find out how this educational intervention worked. And by that we mean how long did it take their learners to get to certain benchmarks of accuracy. Now these benchmarks were derived from surveying the members of the P2 network, and they came up with 80 85, 90, and 95% accuracy. So they wanted to see how long after using this tool did it take their learners to get to these benchmarks. That was their main goal, but they actually found a lot of other interesting data along the way. So now Leanne, I would love if you could walk us through these results and tell us what stood out to you the most.
2: I mean, I'll do my best. What I will say is this is a pretty meaty paper. And so for those of you that are interested in, in POCUS education, I really recommend reading it through uh, a few times and sort of taking, taking out of it what you will. Uh, what we'll talk about really are sort of the core areas of the results. And so important to know who participated in the study. And unsurprisingly, um, as Mike mentioned, uh, the majority of people uh, were fellows. Um, Many, many more people uh, in the fellowship group received point-of-care ultrasound training as part of their fellowship compared to the attending group, Uh, and that's not surprising given how how new this is uh, in the context of pediatric emergency medicine. Overall, we had 75% roughly of the participants who completed at least one of the four applications, Roughly 50% of total participants completed all four applications. So they did have some people that failed to complete uh, all four applications and uh, certainly had some folks uh, that had, you know, dropped off in terms of completing uh, the uh, image sim module for a particular application. When they looked at their primary outcome, What's really interesting and what they try to do in the study was try to predict the median number of cases that would be needed for a specific application for a set benchmark of accuracy. And so this takes a little bit of mental gymnastics, but when we think about it, really what they're saying is if I'm a program director and I decide that 80% accuracy is what I'm going to need for my group, what's the average number of cases for interpretation that would be needed for the 50th percentile learner? Or conversely, if I wanted it to be, you know, 95% of my, uh, my learners achieving this, what would the median number of cases be needed in that context? So in the study itself, they talk about the four applications, and they suggest for the average 50th percentile learner, If you wanted 80% accuracy, you're looking at zero to 45 scans needed. If you're looking at 85% accuracy, 25 to 97, 90% you're looking at 60 to 175, and 95% accuracy, you're looking at 141 to 290 scans.
0: And Leanne, those ranges are because of the four different applications. Is that right?
2: That's absolutely right, Mike. So what they did was they combined all four applications on the same analysis. And so you can see that certain scans are take a little bit more time to develop that accuracy, uh, whereas other ones are simpler. And it goes back in part to the construction of the study, and I think it also goes back to the complexity of the scans. And we can all recognize as people that teach and use ultrasound when we're doing it for a soft tissue abscess. There's a different level of knowledge required than when we're trying to calculate or look at. Uh, some cardiac function in the context of a pediatric resuscitation.
0: If I could summarize some of what you're saying, it sounds like their main outcome was that there's pretty broad ranges of number of cases needed to get to those accuracy benchmarks, both across learners and across the different applications. So that sounds like pretty interesting findings because it's not a one size fits all where you can just say do 25 scans. In many cases, this is like in the hundreds before they, they reach those benchmarks.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Mike. I think that the take home from sort of that component of the results is really that there are these different types of learners. And anecdotally, we can see that when we teach, some people really, really get the visual learning piece of point of care ultrasound quite quickly. And for others, it takes significantly more repetition and practice and intentionality about working on their interpretation and recognizing what they're seeing on the screen.
1: And to underline you know, the complexity, don't forget this is just image interpretation. So I think we've all seen the learner or even ourselves as we were learning, having to perform the scan yourself and try to interpret it as difficult to measure change in how we do this. And so this is just the pictures and they still are having a broad range that a number can't define.
0: Anything else from the results that we need to know, Leanne?
1: Yeah, so
2: I think that the other interesting thing that I found uh, in looking at the study was uh, in their performance outcome section, they mentioned there's no association uh, of the PEM POCUS physician learners achieving expert performance with any of their defined baseline variables. So things that they looked at included the number of POCUS scans uh, that the um, physician learner had obtained themselves. So that's the physical Um, scanning and submitting for quality assurance. They looked at their initial accuracy, they looked at whether they'd been plus or minus five years in practice, and they looked at their practice uh, location as well, children's hospital versus other, in addition to POCUS training in their fellowship versus none. And so what's really interesting about this is, you know, in designing the study, you'd probably predict that some of these variables might have an impact into how Uh, how well you can accurately uh, interpret images. And it seemed that that didn't really bear out in their uh, results. So you could wonder, you know, one, that's interesting, uh, why there's no association, which we can talk a bit more about in the discussion. And two, you know, the study wasn't really powered to look at that, right? It wasn't their primary outcome. And so maybe a larger cohort uh, will help to tease out a few more of these. The other thing I'll just mention really briefly is the time commitment component of this. Um, So this is a 100-case module, and uh, on average, they found that it was pretty limited in terms of time. So it didn't take that much time to complete each application. Soft tissue took between 20 uh, to 40 minutes, lung took 40 to 72 minutes, cardio took 39 to 72 minutes and fast took 49 to 76 minutes. So pretty incredible as a sort of discrete learning tool, especially with all of our busy lives, to be able to condense that amount of education into such a small time frame.
0: Yeah, that's really impressive and I think speaks to the work that they put into developing this resource. It seems really valuable. At this point, I think we have the main findings of the study. I would love to hear your thoughts, both of you, on what you think about this. How does it affect how you teach or think about pediatric POCUS teaching or education? And were there significant limitations we need to think about?
1: I think it's a wonderful study. It has it spoke to me in that I have, as coming from an institution, unlike Leanne's, where we're kind of newer to point of care, we have just such a vast level of training amongst our attending physicians. And a lot of the issues in hospital credentialing and maintenance of certification and using, and actually just using POCUS in a safe manner, they want the attending physician to be able to supervise the learner. And if you even if you tell them that the learner might be better at the modality, uh that's not okay, right? And we don't usually say, oh, my resident's better at intubating, it doesn't matter that I can't do it because I know my resident can do it. But intubation and using point-of-care ultrasound, I, I do, I, I want to say something a little kind of rash, but they're not the same thing. Um, point-of-care ultrasound is a new modality that we are starting to incorporate and has amazing capabilities, but there is times where there are workarounds and there are ways, there's plenty of wonderful chem clinicians who don't know how to use POCUS. And so what I've always wondered is, focusing for some of the uh, older attendings or attendings who don't have the time, even though it doesn't look like a ton, but they don't have the time to learn POCUS. If you focus on the image interpretation and you have the trainee obtain the images, because that is a very complex psychomotor skill that requires a lot of bedside training. But the main important thing is that the attending physician can interpret it and know what to do with it. And I've I've always wondered, you know, could you do a version of this in your ERs. And I think we know that there are older attendings who can interpret the picture, but can't obtain it. And so this study to me was to actually look into it and, and talk about the learning and the variable pattern and how people learn and can they do it was just, it's very impactful for um, things that hospitals care about and program directors care about, like credentialing and making sure people can use POCUS safely.
2: I'll say two things. It is it is a really impressive study. Adelia and I have talked a lot about uh, the value of that sort of interpretation, um, I guess, over review um, when trainees are are scanning, and there's certainly interest from a segment of attending physicians in developing skills within that. One of the things that I sort of wanted to bring to the group and think about is: is it really fair that we're asking trainees to do interpretation outside of the bedside? In the way that we would as program directors or POCUS faculty with our quality assurance, because, you know, when we train our POCUS fellows, and I I don't know about you, uh, Mike, at your center, but quality assurance and image interpretation in the absence of a full clinical picture is sort of a back half of the fellowship kind of job it's not the start of the fellowship it's really about moving yourself to that expert role so not saying that you're competent but that you're truly expert to get one or two lines of a clinical vignette and then look at an ultrasound scan and know where in the body that is know what you're interpreting and understand the context of that and so you know As somebody who's used the platform and somebody who uses that platform as part of our um, competency delivery in our institution, I think it's one of the pieces that I've always sort of thought about with it, you know, it's very interesting to remove it and I think it's important, but I wonder... And part of this could be my own bias, because I learned how to acquire my images in addition to interpreting them, and I find that those complement each other really well. So it's just curious to hear your thoughts as to pulling out and selecting the interpretation and where the value of that can come from.
0: This is only a piece of the puzzle, and it's a great start to the discussion because I think it would have been way too much to tackle everything that goes into all of the skills of using point-of-care ultrasound clinically, you kind of have to break it down to figure out each step one at a time before you put it together. So, of course, we're not faulting the authors for that, but at the same time, we don't know how what they have established here is going to translate into real life. My take on this data is that it's really valuable to start with and certainly is going to be a huge stepping stone for further research in figuring out where to go in teaching our learners after they have done this initial training in image interpretation with a lot of pathology.
2: And certainly the pandemic has brought to the forefront trying to parse out, you know, certain aspects of education that lend themselves to online learning or a digital assessment or whatever it might be. One, it's it's great that they they took the time to think about this and structure it in such a robust way. Uh, But two, it's just become even more Useful, I think, now in our current circumstance, even though this was created in 2018. What's so exciting about this moving forward is if it does get disseminated and start being used by more sites, they'll have more data to sort of look at and actually parse out specific, maybe even learner types. Uh, that could benefit from more of this uh, or less of it. Uh, And as we move it into more modalities as well, I think that it's really interesting to think about all the different applications that it could lend itself to.
1: Regarding the discussion of the fact that there was no difference, no association of the PEM-Pocus physician learners achieving expert level with uh, the number of scans they do, or if they had training in in their PEM fellowship, I think that That was surprising, and I think it is theoretically could be related to the institution where it was being used. I would love and kiss Leanne if my attendings would do that well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me summarize this study. This was a prospective study of 177 international participants who took an electronic learning module in four applications of pediatric POCUS. And the take-home points that we have from this article are that, number one, there was a highly variable rate of achievement of those metrics across learner groups and also the differing applications. And I think overall this was probably a little bit higher if you think about the numbers, but if you think about the time, it sounded pretty similar to prior research in that it took about two to three hours for many of the applications, a little bit more for the cardiac applications. The other take-home point is that deliberate practice of pediatric point-of-care ultrasound using these this type of image case interpretation is potentially a really great way to learn these skills. So we really applaud the authors for this groundbreaking work and appreciate how much this adds to our understanding of how to teach pediatric point-of-care ultrasound. And we thank you, listeners, for sticking with us, visiting our podcast yet again. You can always find out more at ultrasoundgel.org. You can visit us on Facebook or talk to any of us on Twitter where we would be happy to converse. Until then, we will talk to you later.
2: Bye. More pressure. More gel.
0: More pressure. More gel. What I'm hearing is that a six-year-old Canadian is the equivalent of a pediatric emergency fellowship-trained American.